Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. Romans chapter 8, and starting in verse 31, we're jumping into our second message of our Christmas sermon series based on A Christmas Carol. I love the story, A Christmas Carol. And we're going to use this as our text. Romans 8.31, reading from the ESV. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, now as I read these, think about what's going on in your own life. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things. Somebody say all of these things. In Oh, that was a good one back here. (laughs) It meant business. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, we've got more problems with life than death, right? Death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for this word. Help me today. Help me to yield myself to you, that you are able to speak to your people what is in your heart, what you have for us, and open our ears to hear it, receive it, apply it, obey it. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. I would really encourage everybody to go home and read Romans chapter 8 over and over and over again. There is so much in Romans 8 about Old Covenant, New Covenant, what Jesus did on the cross, and different areas of our life, and how to walk in victory, how to be spiritually minded instead of carnally minded. 
That means letting your thoughts in life agree with what God's Word says instead of agreeing with what we feel and what we're going through in the physical and in the natural. And so read Romans 8 and let it become... Let it become the fiber of who you are. It talks about praying in the Holy Spirit. It talks about the, the principle uh, of the law and the weakness. of the, It's just it's incredible, everything that's in that one chapter. So that would be a great thing for you to dissect and, and chew on. But we want to look at this particular area, which talks about the victory that we have been given for our everyday life. And Paul is very extensive in naming everything he can possibly name that Jesus gives us the victory over in our lives. Now, last week we talked about the ghost of Christmas past. And uh, again, how many of you have seen or read A Christmas Carol at some point in your life? If you haven't, do yourself a great favor and go home, and I highly recommend watching the Muppet version first, all right? I'm really on a Muppet thing this morning. It is on my mind. So in the story, after the ghost of Christmas passed, as we looked at last week, if you weren't here last week, you need to go and listen to that message. After the ghost of Christmas passed reminds... Ebenezer Scrooge of the different traumas that he experienced growing up. After he reminds him of the heartbreak that he went through, after he reminds him of the decisions he made and his response to these situations that turned him into Scrooge, what we know as Scrooge, after he took him to all those places, he turned him over to the ghost of Christmas present, the present day, the modern time where he was living, for that ghost to show him all that he was currently doing that was wrong, all that he was currently neglecting all that he was currently ignoring, everything that was running his life and making up who he is presently. So first, he had to look at the things he went through that gave him his perception, his perspective. And then he had to deal not only with the root, but he had to make some changes with the result. We're probably talking to some folks already. So last week, we did just that. We looked behind the curtain at our past, and we dealt with traumas and abuse, and we dealt with guilt and shame and sins and failures and all of those kinds of things which hold us back and affect us. When we pull back the curtain on the things that are hiding inside of us. Those things which are now pulling the strings, those things which have skewed our vision, those things which have changed our perspective, influenced our perception, 
When we begin to understand those things, that which has maybe hardened our heart, it is not enough to stop when we see it, when we recognize it, when we understand it, when we label it. It is not enough to stop there and simply say, okay, I forgive. Okay, I let go. Okay, I'm not going to revisit it. It's not enough to stop at that point because we are right now operating according to the conditioning that we already gained from these things. How many of you know that you can become very hard through abuse or trauma and you can start to view people according to what you've been through and at some point you can forgive that person, maybe yourself, but it doesn't automatically change how you are accustomed to seeing everything else. Amen? Okay, good. I'm glad you're, you're tracking with this. We are now operating according to that conditioning. We are now behaving and responding and replying and making decisions and choices based on incorrect programming that is already settled. You cannot change your brain overnight. I can turn the light on, all of a sudden you can say, oh, I see it. But we are used to how we've been doing it all this time. You can forgive people of a lot. You can think that something is buried in the past. But let a situation even suggest that somebody else might be doing the same thing. All comes back real quick, doesn't it? You find out that it's a little bigger in there still than you realize that it was. So now we are doing this automatically. Not because we're still holding on to the events, but because it's simply what we are used to. But this is not a good excuse to stay this way. I am meeting too many Christians that say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm meeting too many believers that say, well, you'll have to deal with it because that's just me. Well, and who you just are is wrong. Because we are supposed to be crucifying this life in this flesh daily. We are supposed to be laying it down day after day and conforming to the image and likeness of Jesus. 
So I may have a million reasons, but none of them are a good excuse. None of it is a good reason to stay where I've been living in the wrong place. Amen? Now, here's the deal. A lot of people, believers, we're talking about believers, a lot of Christians have the idea that because they are a Christian, at some point, life will just be different. They think that at some point, it will just change. So I got all this stuff that I don't like. I've got all these things in my life that aren't really where they need to be. I got these things I carry, these things I deal with. And I just keep waiting for that day when I wake up and it's all different than the day before. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. It does not work that way. We do not wake up to it being fixed. That's not how it works in God's kingdom. And it's not how he made human beings to work. It's not how he made the brain to work. We just sit around waiting on our deliverance. There was never a single deliverance in the scripture that the person in need of deliverance didn't participate in the deliverance. God never showed up and forced freedom. God never showed up and dumped victory on someone. There was always a plan it was always that God gave them revelation and a call. The Israelite children were in slavery 400 years to Egypt. Without a doubt, many of them had probably prayed for deliverance. And God did not cause them to fall into a slumber and wake up in a different place. As a matter of fact, their freedom came with a lot of work. Their freedom came with a lot of sacrifice. They had to participate in God's freedom. If you think the thing you're after is going to come through prayer by itself, you are sadly mistaken, and you're going to spend a few more years going around in the wilderness until you realize that you have a huge part in the freedom that you are asking God for. It's awful quiet in here. So my question to you is this, what are you doing to make it change? What are you doing to make it change? Let's put the emphasis on the word doing. What are you doing to make it change? What steps are you currently employing to bring about a different life for you and your family? What are you currently doing, practical steps, to get where you are praying that you would be? You see, you must get intentional to bring about change. You must get purposeful. You must get practical. And you must do the things that will bring about the change. A few weeks ago, in the message, we looked at three people 
that we all need to talk to about pain in our past. Do you remember this? We talked about three people. We talked to ourself. We talked to the Lord. And we talked to faithful brothers and sisters. Well, that does not just work for pain in your past. It's also exactly what we need in a plan for our present. You hearing me? Anything that you see that needs to happen in your life, any change that needs to come about, any change in, direct, in direction, and I don't care what the situation is. I don't care if you're talking about business. I don't care if you're talking about a temptation. If you're talking about relationship, you're talking about a money issue. I don't care what it is. None of it is going to happen alone. And until we humble ourselves to the only way it works, it's not going to work. Pride stops us from talking to ourselves about it because we don't want to admit it. Pride stops us from talking to the Lord about it because we don't want to ask for help. Pride stops us from talking to others about it because we don't want anybody to know. And guess what? God has given you a three-ingredient recipe on how to bring about any victory in your life. And it is to acknowledge it, to bring it before him, and to get your brothers and sisters involved. If you are not willing to do that, your marriage will never change. If you are not willing to do that, the situation in your house with your kids will never change. If you are not willing to do that, you will never fulfill your ministry calling. If you're not willing to do that, you'll never know the secret ingredient to your business that you can't figure out. God has hardwired this whole thing that we need him and that we need each other. And no great thing ever happens to someone by their self. None of it. Now, we talk a lot about prayer already. It is a given. It is a go-to that we should be praying. So I'm not going to go through all the different verses we could go through today about taking it to the Lord other than to say, take it to the Lord. And you have not because you ask not. But today we're going to jump into the other two. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. This thing that you are fighting, depression, anxiety, uh, stress of having too much to do and not enough time to do it, and the toll that it's taking on your mind and your body, if you are not willing to get other human beings involved where you open your mouth and you lay it out and allow a conversation and a brainstorm to begin where people have 
the information that you don't have, and you don't have it, or it would already be fixed, and somebody out there does have it, if you are not willing, this is God's way. If you say, no, I'm just going to keep praying about it, you are refusing the answer to your prayer. You are neglecting the way that God answers. You are insisting on God being something that he's not. You are demanding God to be a genie in a bottle. That you rub the bottle when you need him. And then you turn in your three wishes. And then without anyone else involved, he does it. That's not God. And that's not relationship. And you are demanding that God answer your prayer on your terms. You are never going to be free. You are never going to be victorious. You are going to live the rest of your life in this same stinking cycle that you claim you hate, but I think you're secretly in love with. Come on, somebody. Some people start to get a little bit of help with their depression, but they wouldn't dare want to let the thing go because they've been in love with it too long. Too many people, if they got free, they wouldn't even know who they are anymore. They wouldn't know how to not be depressed. It's become their identity. If you are not willing to do it this way, you're going to stay in it. You must acknowledge problems that maybe you're not even willing to admit are there yet. You must get Jesus involved, and you must get God's people involved. This is going to help somebody. It'll make somebody else mad. Right? I'm telling the truth. Where there is no guidance, if you do not have guidance, if you do not have counsel, if you do not have advice, if you do not have external wisdom, that means not just yours, people fall. You're going to fall. It's destroying you. But in an abundance of counselors... There's safety. You are safe when you open your mouth. You are safe when you get people involved. Habakkuk said this. We're not even going to look at the context of the situation he was in, but we are going to look at the principle that God revealed to him. Okay? Habakkuk said, chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post... I will station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Okay, so Habakkuk had an issue. not going to deal with the issue right now. Habakkuk had an issue, and he says, I'm going to get up on the tower. I'm going to position myself to look and to hear. You remember when the psalmist said, the name of the Lord is a strong and mighty tower, and the righteous run in and they are safe? Some of us need to get positioned on that tower. 
We need to get positioned on that on our watch post. We are so consumed, we are so blinded, we can't see the forest for the trees. We are so in the situation that we can't see outside of the situation. We need to climb up higher. We need to get on our watch post where we can consider that the thing may be bigger than what we can see. We need to change our perspective so we can change our perception. We need to get on this tower so we can look and see the Lord and so we can hear the Lord and we need to cry out to see how he would answer. And he's going to answer through people. But listen to this. And the Lord answered me. Here was the first of the answer to Habakkuk. He said, write the vision. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets. Why? So that he can run who reads it. Have you ever heard the saying that a failure to plan is a plan to fail. You ever heard that? Well, you have now. A failure to plan is a plan to fail. So many of us that need changes, we sit around waiting for the change. No change comes without a plan. No change comes without doing something to get to that change. You have to make a plan, and you have to make it plain. And the Lord's advice was write it down. Why? So that anybody that reads it will be able to run with it. What, what, what is the flip side of that message? If a person can't read it and know the information, there's nothing for them to run with. You see, if we don't have a plan, if we don't write it out and make it plain, do you know what we'll do? We will live every day in response to our emotions. If I do not have a plan, if I do not have a strategy, if I do not have a schedule, if I have not thought about this ahead of time, what will I do in this situation? How will I respond if this happens? What will I do tomorrow morning? If I don't do that, when I get up tomorrow morning, none of this is on my mind. So I just live according to what I feel in the moment. And the next day, I still didn't get anything done. Sound familiar? This is why it's important to talk to your children about drugs and alcohol. Do you know that parents who talk to their kids ahead of time about drugs and alcohol, it becomes memory inside of them. A lot of kids end up giving into temptation simply because their first encounter was a feeling. So they responded according to feeling. But those kids whose parents have talked to them, they get in the situation, and they have more than a feeling. They have something they know. They say, wait a minute. Mom and dad told me this might happen. Mom and dad told me I would feel this way. Mom and dad said it would seem irresistible. But mom and dad said, even if I was doing something dumb, call them immediately. Mom and dad said, you have options in this situation. Mom and dad said, you can stand against that feeling. You don't have to obey. This is why you talk to your kids ahead of time about sex. This is why we gear our kids up before they get to a situation so that when they get to a situation, they have more in their tool belt than feelings. Well, guess what? It doesn't just work for your kids. 
It works for you. We need to have a plan. We need to acknowledge, hey, some changes need, need made. Hey, this is not how my life is supposed to be. Hey, this is not God's best. And then we go to the Lord, and we lay it before the Lord, and then we get some people involved. You know, if I want to succeed, I don't hang out with losers. Come on, somebody. If I want to get somewhere I've never been, I connect with somebody that's been there, somebody that's excelling. I'm not saying we never don't, I'm not saying that we never go and help somebody because we also have to be that for somebody else to show them what we've learned that maybe they don't know. But we've got to get some people involved. You want, you want to beat depression? Get involved with some people that aren't depressed. Your support group is just a circle of complaints. So y'all can rehash the same stuff and keep each other bound because nobody has freedom. Are you hearing me today? You've got to get around some new people. You've got to get around some people that are walking in these answers. Write the vision. Make it plain so you'll be able to run with it. This is what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you, maybe today, maybe when you get home, get a notebook. I love notebooks. Get a notebook. Start a list. And guess what? Your list is going to change every day, and that's okay. Write down what's on your mind. Write down the areas. I don't really want to keep living this way. And what is this way? Maybe it's uh, this, is, this is never where I was supposed to be in, in my life. I don't want to stay in this situation. This is a dead-end job. This is not what God has given me. I'm supposed to be in a specific calling. I'm called to this kind of ministry, whatever it is. Write it down and make it plain. Here are the problems. How am I feeling? I'm dealing with anxiety. This is why, or I don't know why. I'm having a problem with uh, temptation to, to start drinking again. I have temptation with what? Write it down. Start writing down the issues. And then ask yourself, what are some changes I could make in my daily life that would help with these issues? I have a friend. He's a hypnotist. He's a, he's a stage hypnotist. He does it for entertainment, but he's a hypnotist. And he has also done hypnotism to help people with different addictions. It's really a cool thing. He, Lisa was so scared. His name's Mark. Lisa was so scared when Mark came and hung out at the shop for a few hours. She wouldn't even look at him. She was scared he would hypnotize her. <laughs> I said... I don't think it works like that. <laughs> She's like, oh, boy. <laughs> you want to accidentally get hypnotized? Sorry, Lisa. She did not want to get hypnotized accidentally, you know. But anyway, Mark was telling me there was a, there was a lady who was trying to quit smoking. And uh, Mark is a Christian man, by the way, too, in the ministry. And he was telling about this lady he was helping to quit smoking. And 
he had been working with her for a while, and she just smoking, 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 smoking. And he addressed every area associated with addiction. And after a few months of research and observation and talking to her, he realized something. She wasn't addicted. Now, hold up. Pause for a second. And he told her. He said, hey, you're not addicted to smoking. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean I'm not addicted to smoking? He said, your issue is not addiction. He said, because we have looked at A, B, C, and D, and we've treated this and that. She's like, I don't understand. He said, I want you to try something. He said, which way do you drive to work every morning? Oh, he had asked her. He's like, what, what do you do in the morning? She told him she goes to this gas station, gets cigarettes. He said, what way do you take to work? She said, well, I go here, I go here, da, 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 da. He said, I want you to try something. He said, tomorrow, he said, go a different route to work. He said, change your daily schedule. He said, change your route. She did. She quit smoking. It was unreal what happened. What he found out is that her issue was not addiction. It was habit. This was mind blowing. I didn't even know this existed like this. For so many years, that was the morning routine, so it's what you do automatically. I wake up, I walk past, I turn on the coffee pot. I go here, I get the dog some water. I go here, I do this. And I do it with it. It's just, it's habit. They had dealt with the addiction, but she was in the same daily routine. When he changed her routine, the cigarettes didn't have a hold on her. It's just what she thought she was supposed to do next. Is that the craziest thing you ever heard? But it worked. But it worked. There are all kinds of changes that need made. And sometimes things aren't even as big of an issue as we realize that it is. But we've got to start examining it and becoming conscience, conscious and intentional about what we are doing. So write the things down. Ask yourself about the areas. Ask Jesus and ask other people. And write down what you think needs to happen to change those areas. Start making the changes. They might be very simple. Start making the changes. This message, this whole series, actually came from an entire sermon that I heard myself preach in a dream two and a half weeks ago. I, I dreamed that I preached it, and it was, oh, it was a masterpiece. I wish I could really remember it. I wish I could really remember it. I mean, I was shouting, you know. But anyway, I, I woke up. I woke up, and I remembered parts of this, parts of this sermon. But anyway... It started with write it and make it plain. And it dealt with as a man thinks, so is he. Whatever our mind is full of is what we would follow. Joyce Meyer said it, says it this way, where the mind goes, the man follows. Whatever you fill your mind with, whatever you th are thinking on, that is going to take root and grow in your life. It's going to show up. So everything revolves around this. Romans 12, 2. 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Folks, Jesus has paid a great price. But we have a huge part in cooperating with God. We have a huge part in cooperating with his word. And Jesus has paid too great of a price for us to not only deal with what's in the past, but he has paid too great of a price for us to not walk in victory right now. Jesus has paid too much for us to keep living every day the same and and never getting where we're supposed to be going, never growing in him. Now, the first problem is that many people don't even know what Jesus paid for. A lot of people think Jesus died so you'd be forgiven, so you'd go to heaven. Folks, that is one little sliver, and it's actually not even the biggest point. How many of you realize that if Adam and Eve had never fallen in sin, if sin had never entered in, God still had a huge plan and purpose. We have dumbed this whole thing down to, we're sinners, God forgives us. Okay. Listen, if there had never been sin, God has a huge plan and a purpose. God dealt with sin to get us back to the huge plan and purpose. Amen? That is good. The first problem is that people don't know what Jesus paid for. They don't know that he wants victory for them. They don't realize what has been provided. This would be a perfect opportunity for me to tell a 17-year-old story that I'm still salty about. So I'll tell it till I get over it, okay? Which probably is never going to happen, so pray for me. Rose and I, if you've heard it, you can just check out for a few minutes, unless you just like it. Rose and I flew to Arizona. We flew to Phoenix, Arizona, 17 years ago. (laughs) You do want to hear it again. We flew to Phoenix, Arizona, 17 years ago with my great uncle and my great aunt, he uh, was a preacher. He's going on to be with the Lord. He was a preacher. And then there were a couple other preachers that went with us too. And my uncle, Minister Gilstrap, it's a funny last name, isn't it? My uncle, Minister Gilstrap, he set up all the accommodations for the trip. He set up the whole schedule. Rose and I had not even been married quite a year, okay? And Uncle Ernie, with the pastor of the church, had all these arrangements. And we, the, they picked us up at the airport, and they took us to this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful high-end resort in the desert. Really, really neat place that I could have never, ever, ever, ever afforded to go. 
the uh, the pastor of the church was a multimillionaire, and almost every member in the church were all millionaires. And so money was not an issue for these folks. So we go to this resort, and Rose and I can hardly believe our eyes as we pull up that this is where we are staying. And we unload, and we go to our condo, villa, whatever this thing was, and we go in, and it's amazing. It's huge. And everything is there that you can imagine, you know. And there's a little, uh, there's a little refrigerator fully stocked, and a little snack bar thing fully stocked, everything under the sun you can imagine, you know. Everything is there. And, and through the window, there are people golfing, and uh, then they've got a restaurant where they do a huge breakfast buffet, very beautiful with fruit sculptures, and you get the idea. The dinner buffet, you know, ribeyes and prime rib and lobster and all this kind of stuff, and there's uh, massage therapists there and ev- everything. Everything's in our son. Of course, I can't afford all that stuff. I was not about to open that refrigerator because it would have taken my year's income to get a Pepsi out of it. Come on, you know, or a $12 pack of M&Ms 17 years ago. And so we thought this stuff was really neat, but I wasn't touching it. We were there for a whole week. And, uh, you know, we would see my uncle and aunt through the day a little bit. We might go do something, you know, the car, they'd come get us. And then we would, or I think the pastor had given his car to my uncle and we would drive and sightsee and, uh, you know, the, uh, the lost Dutchman's mine, superstition mountains, all that kind of stuff. We're doing all this stuff. We go back to the resort and we just enjoy being in this pretty room. I wasn't about to go to that buffet because I didn't have that kind of money. So we enjoy the week, we appreciate the week, and on the last day, the pastor comes to get us, to take us all back to the airport, to go home after our beautiful week in Phoenix. We're driving to the airport, and Pastor Clater, he says, did you all enjoy your stay? Oh, yes, sir, thank you very much. I hope everything was was comfy. Hope everything was good. Yeah, very, very comfortable. Thank you. A beautiful place. You all really went out of your way putting us up in the nicest place. I, absolutely. And he's like, uh, did you enjoy all the snacks and you drink the stuff and everything? And we're like, no, 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 you know. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, well, did you, did you, he said, did you get in on that big breakfast, you know? Did you have any prime rib? Like, oh, no, sir, you know. He got the funniest look on his face. He said, did you get a massage? Did you play golf? I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, we, I said, we can't afford, we can't afford any of that. I said, those M&Ms were, Pastor Clater got the weirdest, sickest look on his face. He said, did, did your uncle Ernie, tell you at the beginning of the week when we dropped you off that this was our church's gift to you, that this was all-inclusive, 
and that we paid for everything and you were supposed to drink all the stuff and eat all the stuff and get massages and have the buffet and play golf. And did, did Uncle Ernie tell you? I mentioned a moment ago that Uncle Ernie has gone on to be with the Lord. I didn't tell you how he got there. Because I cut Uncle Ernie's throat right there in the Cadillac. No, I didn't. But I'd like to bring him back just so that I could. Are you sick to your stomach right now? Not as much as I've been for 17 and a half years. I want my prime rib and my massage. He said, did Uncle Ernie not tell you? <sighs> Uncle Ernie, sitting shotgun up there with Pastor Claire. He said, oh, he said, I must have forgot. <laughs> I won't forget, Uncle Ernie. <laughs> I'll never forget. I'll kill you, Uncle Ernie. <laughs> that event has supplied me with 17 years of the greatest preaching about the things that Jesus has paid for. So the first problem is that people don't know what Jesus has paid for. But the second problem is that they do know, and they still don't apprehend it. If you go to church at the river, you know what he paid for. If you don't apprehend it, it won't be my fault. Because I told you over and over and over again, I'm telling you what God wants for you and what he has paid for. So the bigger problem is that people do know, but they don't apprehend it, and it's because of laziness. The promised land was paid for and still had to be conquered. You know, people are praying... People are praying to God for things that they're not willing to go after. They're asking God for stuff that they're not willing to get involved. If you are not willing to participate in the plan, quit asking God for the thing. Because that's not how this works. God does not give you stuff. God brings you to stuff. Come on, somebody. God doesn't hand you things. He takes you by the hand, and he leads you into the thing. If you refuse to go to your future, quit asking God to bring your future to you. 
We've been talking about the ghost of Christmas present. Well, here's a Christmas present. How do you like that segue? Well, the whole thing is like a Christmas present. You see, this present sitting under the tree, your family paid for it. Your family already went and got this. They purchased it for you, not with your money. It's a gift. Your family gave of their work. They gave of their time. They gave of their effort, their blood, sweat, and tears, and then they took the money. Do you realize when somebody gives you money or buys you something, you realize it wasn't money? You realize they gave up work days. Time they spent on the clock, for them, they decided to do it for you. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. So your family purchased it. They went and got it. They wrapped it, and then they presented it. That's why it's a present. You present it. They put it under the tree. The thing that you have been asking your family for, the thing you say you want, the thing that would bring you pleasure, the thing that would make life easier, the thing that you need that you haven't been able to get is inside already paid for, already worked for, and already presented to you. It belongs to you, but you refuse to open it. God is not going to open it. He paid for it. He worked for it. He sacrificed for it. He wrapped it. And he presented it. Jesus spilled his blood out for it. But he's not going to open it for you. Because that's not how this works. We love this thing. That Jesus purchased for us. We think it's so great. We like to carry it around. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Jesus died for me. And we carry this wrapped present around. We talk about it. We go to church because of this wrapped present. We worship this wrapped present. We even tell other people about this wrapped present. Isn't it pretty? Look at this wrapped present I have. Jesus paid for this for me. So great I have this. Here it is. We pray to this wrapped present. We pray... To this present, and we ask this present to give us the thing that is inside of this present. But I don't want to use the energy to open it. I don't want to participate. 
I don't want to pop the tape. I don't want to tear the paper. I don't want to open the box. I don't want to reach inside. I don't want to have to lift it out. God, would you open it? And preferably, would you do it while I'm sitting on the couch in my life? God, I need some money. Jehovah Jireh, God, you're my provider. Got any money in there? I need my bills paid. God, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I know you paid for it. I know you're in there. God, would you get me some money out of that box? God, I'm sad. Would you give me a happy face? Now, I don't want to open the box of changing the things that are making me sad that I keep doing. I would like to keep doing those. You just open the box and hand me happiness. Got any peace? Got any peace in there? My mind is going crazy. I keep running around with these crazy people, and there's all this drama, and uh, I don't want to quit posting about it on Facebook and answering all the comments. I was just hoping that that you would just uh, make me have peace while I keep doing that. We keep asking God for stuff that we are not willing to participate in opening what he paid for. So I keep praying, but it's not answered. I never opened it. But if I would take the time, I hope Rose doesn't watch this and realize I took that kind of bow. I got to be real careful so she can use it again. I'll put, I'll put it here as a little present for her. to do was cooperate with what Jesus paid for. All I had to do was get intentional, and instead of keeping my day the same and asking him for happiness, I could change the day and tap into the happiness. Oh, wow. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, boy. There's provision in here? You mean if instead of sitting and saying, God, please make money appear under a rock where I can just pick it up, I could maybe pray for opportunities to work? Or 
I could pray for financial wisdom and maybe sit down with my wife and kids and, I don't know, make a budget and quit spending everything you bless me with? Maybe I could realize that if my outgo is more than my uh, income, my upkeep will be my downfall. Come on, somebody. Maybe instead of just asking God, no, God, just do miracles where you open it and hand it all to me. Maybe, God, I could ask for a plan. And perhaps after I acknowledge my spending problem, and perhaps after I pray about it, maybe then I could also talk to somebody that has some knowledge and some wisdom in finance. Are you hearing me? Oh, a gift within a gift. You think? I don't know. This is going to sound crazy. Perhaps if I would open the Bible, the number one bestseller of all time, that's a fact, check it, number two is still the Pilgrim's Progress, isn't that amazing? Maybe I could open this book of peace and wisdom and love and joy and instruction. Maybe if I turn off fake book and open the faith book, come on. Maybe if I turn off MSNBC and open the KJV, come on, that's good preaching right there. Maybe if I'd get into the B-I-B-L-E, maybe all of a sudden the atmosphere of my mind would change and I would start finding answers. Now, why do that? And I can just keep doing everything my way, but making sure to pray all the time. And then boasting and saying, I pray every day. Because that's what we do, right? You know what? 2,000 years ago, a little girl named Mary wrapped the first Christmas present and presented him to all the world. And he sits like this. Everything paid for and beautifully presented And he's even been presented at the tree where he was nailed and spilled out his life's blood to pay for you to have forgiveness, for freedom, for victory. Will you open him? 
I'm not like Uncle Ernie. I'm telling you. I'm telling you what's paid for. I'll be mad till I die. That's the one thing I can't forgive. I'm sorry. I've forgiven a lot of things. People have lied, smeared my name, stole from me. But Uncle Ernie, that takes the cake. <laughs> Pray my strength in the Lord. Will you open Jesus today? Last week, we I believe we saw miracles happen in people's lives as we dealt with the ghost of Christmas past. But now what are we doing today to change that conditioning, that programming, and to put a plan in action to live differently? What are we doing to challenge the ghost of Christmas present? Has this helped anybody today? Would you give the Lord a hand clap? Stand with me. Praise the Lord. You know, we had a prayer at the beginning, all of us praying together for different outward issues. Uh, I'd like to do this a little different. I'd like to encourage everybody to find a place to pray for a moment. You are welcome to come down front if you want to. You can kneel right at the steps or, you know, you can kneel right here. We don't really have a mourner's bench, but you can kneel here. Or, or you can just come and stand. Or you might, you might kneel where you're at. But I would like to encourage everybody, find you a prayer spot. I just have a feeling that at some point during this message, that every person in the room probably thought about something, probably realized something. Can we give those to Jesus? Can we just take a couple minutes to give those to Jesus? So find a place to pray. And you might have it on your heart to have somebody pray with you. Go find them. Get out of your seat. Or maybe you have it on your heart. You might have a person on your heart right now. Maybe you've been thinking about them. Maybe there's somebody in the room and you know what they're going through. Maybe they're not here. If they are here, if you've got somebody on your heart that is here, maybe you want to slip out and go to them right now and just say, I need to pray with you. You don't have to pray out loud, or you can. But let's take, let's take a few moments right now to take these things to Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.